This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever you're watching this on right now. I'm Mike White. I was creator of Legacy Battle. My only panelist tonight is from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. We are joined by a special guest tonight, former professional hockey player who was the 15th overall pick in the 82 NHL draft. He's played with the Rangers, Penguins, Kings, and a member of the inaugural, inaugural excuse me, Tampa Bay Lightning team. He's an Olympic silver medalist with Canada uh, at the Lillehammer Games. So we got left winger Chris Contos. Chris, thank you for joining us. Uh, pleasure to be on, guys. So we're we're gonna do almost like a career retrospective here tonight. We got we got an interview with Chris. Uh, we're gonna be jumping all through the timeline in these questions, but we are gonna start at the beginning. So go ahead, Brian. <laughs> all right, Chris. So you were born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Um, who were your early influences and inspirations to get you into the game of hockey? Uh, well, as a kid, it's actually a funny story. My dad was, uh, he'd come over from Greece when he was 18. He met my mom in Toronto and they had me and uh, he didn't know anything about hockey, but he, he liked it. It was fast. He was a soccer guy and uh, he bought a pair of skates for him and me and we both learned how to skate together. So by the time I was probably 10 or 12 and started getting into hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs obviously were, you know, the thing in southern Ontario or Canton or most of Canada back then even. Uh, it was always the Canadians and the Leafs, but uh, I was always a Leafs fan. And I can remember the days of uh, Daryl Sittler and Landy McDonald and Boria Salming and, you know, Mike Palmatier and Nett. And that was the... Uh, that's what we watched as kids. I know it's probably before your time, but uh, that's what gave us all the jam to want to become NHL players. Nice, nice. What, so let's jump ahead to 1983-1984, Tulsa Oilers. A, a remarkable oh. story. Um, they had to play the final six weeks of the season on the road because the team suspended operations, but still took – that, that CHL championship. So tell us what it was like going through what you guys did that season and overcoming some significant adversity. It was a it was a great year for memories because we became the Orphan Oilers and we went and based out of uh, Denver, Colorado, which uh, you know obviously now Stanley Cup champions as we know, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was great to live in uh, Denver and then travel to Salt Lake and. All the other teams are in the CHL back then as just orphans. Like, we didn't have a home team. We just played on the road, and we ended up uh, going all the way and winning it all and winning the Cup. So now we're, we're going to jump really far ahead on this one. So 92-93, okay. let's, let's, let's get to the lightning here. We are based in Tampa, so, uh, you know, this will go over well with a lot of our viewers. So Tampa Bay Lightning, inaugural season, like I said. You sign as a free agent. What is it like being part of an expansion team and that first season locker room next to the circus animals? You know, what was just kind of like your experience there at the Florida Fairgrounds? Um, we've had uh, your teammate Peter Tagalinetti. He was uh, on and gave some interesting stories about the fairgrounds. Darren Poopa as well. But I just want to get your thoughts of, of what made you uh, choose Tampa or did they choose you? And, uh, you know, your thoughts on the, the first season here in Tampa? Well, for me, it was kind of a, a situation where I was on the 92 Olympic team. And uh, Terry Crisp was the assistant coach to Dave King that year. And 
Team Canada won silver in Albertville. I actually was cut on the way from uh, Sweden at a pre-tournament on the way to Albertville. And Terry Crisp, uh, who was kind of in my corner uh, back then during the summer, had said, look, I, I got the coaching job in Tampa. You know, get your agent to get a contract. You know, I highly recommend you try to take a shot down here. So I... I signed a two-way contract, which just wasn't the best thing to do, but I just figured, you know, it's good to have somebody in your corner. And I went in in great shape, and I lit it up in camp, and I got the chance to start opening night, which uh, if you had asked me that a year before, I'd say there's no way I'm going to be starting in an NHL game the next season just because there's always highs and lows of a career. and But that's the way it worked out, and uh, I got off to a great start with the Lightning, and um, it was just a, it was surreal because I played in Phoenix and I played in Denver and Los Angeles and I love playing in the Southern warm weather environments. It's just so nice to get out of a practice and you talk about the fairgrounds. You guys know that all those little ponds are stocked with bass. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I, I bring my, uh, little, uh, you know, retractable fishing rod and go back and I, Roman Hammerlick and I used to go and we used to just, uh, you know, catch a couple bass and, you know, just take our time after practice. He was a young kid that uh, could hardly speak a word English and he was just learning his way. So it, it was amazing. And and even though it was only like 10,000 or 10,500 or 11,000, the place rocked and everybody was into it. And I remember the first game, I think I got my hat trick goal and, and uh, I, I know my godfather was at the game, Gus Panelitis, and he threw his hat on the ice and uh, Espo had to go up and tell the uh, security guards, "Hey, it's a it's a tradition. When you get three goals, people throw their hats on the ice, and <laughs> they want they wanted to throw them out for littering on the ice. And it just uh, it's just amazing how you know they'd have to explain what offsides and icings were, but look where we are now, the amount of cups that we have, and we're like a, a premier franchise in the NHL, and it's just so." It's just such a great feeling to have been a part of it and, uh, you know, help help put Tampa on the map. So let, let's stick with that season here. So you scored 27 goals in 66 games, uh, 51 points. That's third on the team. I know you're behind Brian Bradley. I'm, I'm forgetting who the other player was you're behind. But uh, you were only a minus seven on a team that combined was minus 312. So yeah. that is really impressive. Statistically, this is like by far your best NHL season. Um, so what went right for you with the team that year? And uh, shockingly, like to me, I'm, maybe there's a story behind it, but that was your last season in the NHL. You went and played internationally with Canada. Like what what made you leave the NHL at, at, after your best season? Uh, I don't think you have enough time in this, uh, <laughs> this broadcast to go through all that stuff. But basically – uh, everything, you know, I touched, uh, I think I had 20 goals in the first 21 games. And I remember being ahead of, I played with Mario and I played with Gretzky. And when we played them, they'd give me a little wink, like way to go. But I was always like a third or a fourth line mucking guy, penalty killing guy. And I was getting the chance to, you know, I was a first round draft choice. I, I'd proven that I could do it at the Ontario Hockey League level. And it was just nice to finally get a chance to do it at the NHL level. And I, I was doing really well. I think on game 66, we were at Maple Leaf Gardens and I collided knees with uh, Drake Barahowski and my MCL got uh, um, 
it didn't fall off the bone, but it, it took me out for the rest of the season and I wasn't able to play the rest of the season. And then after that, uh, you know, I had only had a, a one year contract. It came down to another contract and, um, some, some funny things happened and I wasn't able to resign with Tampa. So I, because I got cut from the Olympic team in 92, they had offered me after my season and my production, they'd say, you're guaranteed you're going to play in the 94 Olympics with Paul Correa and Peter Nedved and the list goes on and on of guys that went on to the NHL. And I just said, I, you know, it's not about money now. It's about playing for my country and doing something that I, uh, I'm of Greek descent, as I was telling you, and I'd been to the, uh, the place where the Olympics was started in Greece and it was just a bucket list thing that I had to do. So that was basically, it was, uh, wasn't much of a decision. I, I wanted to do that and I accomplished it. Were, were you aware that your four goals record stood for almost 20 years? Yeah, my, my phone almost blew up the night Martin St. Louis uh, tied it. And I remember Paul Kennedy <laughs> called me and he said, it was 18,000. I don't know how many days it was. There's some crazy number that they keep a stat on. And I was like, I can't believe that. Well, you know, you got Stamkos there. You got all these like, you know, prolific scores and nobody's got four goals yet. That's like crazy, but it was, uh, it was pretty cool. So let's, let's backtrack to another great point in your career. Um, the 88-89 NHL playoffs as a member of the LA Kings, uh, you had a great run in 11, in 11 games, nine goals, uh, three even strength, six during the power play, a hat trick against Grant Fuhrer of the Oilers, uh, game winner in game two. Um, so you hadn't seen a whole lot of action during the regular season that year. So how were you able to just get so red hot in the postseason? Oh, probably another funny story where uh, when I was with the Rangers and the Penguins, I was up and down in the minors, and there was a guy by the name of Robbie Fatork that was coaching the Kings at that time, and I played with him. He set me up for my first NHL goal when I got called up from the Toronto Marlies, and he was now the uh, coach of the, the Kings, and uh, I'd been playing in Switzerland that season. I had a really great year, and I got back early after because European hockey at that time ended a lot earlier. There were way fewer games and uh Rogi Vashon had uh got, got me at the 11th hour to sign a contract I had to fax it back in just before midnight which I did and I got to join the team and play I think four or five games before the playoffs started and I was hot during those games and they just let me keep going and I and I got hot in the playoffs as well so let's go make, oh good sorry good. I was gonna say you mentioned earlier Chris um about the um about Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. Uh, I believe they're the two best players of all time. Um, so what was it like playing with those guys? And I'm going to put you on the spot. Who was better? Oh, I always hate answering that because they're both so epic. And um, they were both um, unbelievable in different ways. Like Gretz could see the ice better than anybody and put pucks into open areas and think ahead almost like a – Somebody that can see the future. Mario, six foot six, wingspan the same size, could stick handle and control pucks and pass and shoot and do everything smooth, skate fast, even though it didn't look like he was skating fast because he was so tall, but just um, a pure, like they call them Super Mario. And that, to me, technically, his, uh, his skill level was a little higher than Gretz. But uh, Gretz had a different uh, skill set when it came to 
using the whole team and on the ice and knowing where to be himself and put pucks and you know on another level. So it's hard to say who was the best if you, if you follow what I'm saying. They're both you know epic players. We had uh, Dan Quinn on and he he kind of kind of gave the same answer that you did. Um, you know, as far as Mario maybe being more talented, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's impossible to judge it too. And Mary had all those injuries, but let, let's move to 94, the Olympics, um, gold medal game. We're going to jump right to that. Uh, Team Canada goes into overtime against Sweden. No goals scored in overtime, goes into a shootout and then all the way it takes till the seventh shooter. Uh, unfortunately, a, a win for Sweden, but. Just tell us about being part of that, like, famous game and uh, being part of the Canadian Olympic team for the second time there. And in your opinion, do you think that a playoff game or championships should be decided by a shootout? Because I am totally against that in the playoffs. Hell no. No, the uh, the shootout after a small overtime is just – I mean, you watch Stanley Cup playoffs. So it, it should be that way, but I, I know that – at the Olympics, it's usually the, the hockey game is the last one of the, the whole Olympics, and there's the closing ceremonies. And I don't know if they could switch it. I mean, what would happen if it was like a four-period overtime or five-period overtime? I don't know if it would just screw up all the planning of everything. I don't know how it would work. So they have to – I can respect the fact that they have to do that. But to lose the gold medal to a shootout is tough. Like, it's really tough. I mean, I can understand an NHL game overtime extra point but the medal after we lost the shootout I remember getting the silver medal and I didn't even want it really this is like right in the moment but I mean all these years later I'm honored to have a Olympic medal whether it's bronze silver or gold and uh, I mean that's that's my takeaway from it you know I I have a a ring that they gave us that I wear proudly that uh, you know it, it just signifies that you know, the Olympics was on my bucket list. I got a medal from it. It's not gold. We would have liked it have been gold, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, it was just, uh, so honorable to be playing, whether you're American playing for the U.S. or Canadian playing for Canada. So I can't, uh, I can't complain. So you played in Italy, Sweden, Germany, Finland. That's just some of the European countries I found that you're in. I mean, the yeah. rinks, the rinks are bigger there, less hitting normally. It's an east-west game where the NHL is north-south. Um, you being Canadian, like, did it take you a while to adjust to that type of game and and also just playing on the bigger ice? Uh, you know, so what were your thoughts uh, in those European leagues about playing there? Um, my, my first stint over there, I was having a contract problem with the New York Rangers, so I went to Finland, and I played for Ilves for a year. And uh, – I couldn't believe how skilled and technically good their guys were passing pucks and making sauce passes and taking passes. And I was like, these guys, it's almost like that's all they work on is their, their technical part of the game. They don't work on, you know, how to corral somebody in the corner and, you know, beat them up and try to come up with the puck. They're all finesse and trying to play that style of game. And it, it really helped me going over there at 22 – 21 or 22 years old and playing that style of game, I think it really helped uh, develop my game. I'll tell you a funny quick story. When I was with the Rangers as a rookie, we were in Long Island 
and uh, Tom Laidlaw had the puck on his knees and Bob Nystrom. I don't know if you know these names or if you're. Oh yeah. He, he went in and kind of gave him a shot. I was an 18 year old kid just called up, and uh, I gave him a push and he told me to get the you know what out and I, I just dropped my gloves just like I would in junior. I learned pretty quick that there's some guys in the NHL that are pretty strong, and let the strong guys fight the strong guys because he he ragdoll. I flew around like a ragdoll, like just like a, a towel in the wind. He was throwing me around. It was uh, it was one of the most humbling experiences ever. I met him later at one of our alumni events down there in Tampa, and what a beauty guy he was. But there, some of these uh, beefers back then were they were beefers. They were strong, and uh, I I didn't want. I said I better learn how to pass and score and shoot. And I said we'll let the beefers beef, and I want to become a playmaker. <laughs> so, so Chris, on your Twitter page, uh, you mentioned both pros marketing and edge again. Um, can you tell the viewers about both of those projects? Actually, Pros Marketing was a print company that I had. I sold it a few years ago. And okay. Edge Again was a, a rechargeable and a skate sharpener that I partnered with Magna out of uh, Toronto with. And uh, it was sold worldwide. And it's still being sold, not as much, because nowadays if you look at the back of the NHL bench, they have the uh, black bag with all the guys' uh, blades, and they pull the trigger. You ever see the guys get a shot on the skate and the blade falls off and they're, they look like Bambi trying to get off the ice because their blade's falling off. Now, if they, they lose an edge during the game, they just uh, switch blades. But um, for the old school way of uh, fixing a, a blade, we had the edge again on benches in the NHL and all, all around the world. It was doing really well. But I've sold that as well. And I just do a product now called Raptor Liner, which is uh, a pickup truck bed liner. And it's sold in Canada and United States under raptorliner.ca and raptorliner.com. It's, it's done very well for us. But thanks so, for asking. <laughs> well, we'll get you out of here with us tonight. So you just mentioned the New York Rangers. Um, when you were with the Rangers, I would say they were kind of on almost like a rebuild, in, in my opinion. Um, they did have a lot of veterans. I think uh, Anders Hedberg was still there when you were there. Um, yep. Alf Nilsson, who was actually recording with Alf Nilsson a little bit later today. Uh, yep. You know, he was on his last legs, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if you were up in the pros at that specific time uh, when that Potvin hit happened. Were you there for that? Alf Nilsson career-ending uh, hit? No, I didn't see that. I wasn't there at that time. I was in Pittsburgh at that time. Okay, you were in Pittsburgh already. But so... Yeah. With those Rangers and the rebuild, I mean, playing in New York is just a different cat, you know. So what was your experience like being there in Broadway and, and just being part of just a historic franchise? All the other teams you played for were, like, expansion teams later on. So just your thoughts yeah, on original, playing in New York. Original six and Madison Square Garden, still there, phenomenal place to play. Uh, it was tough for, you know, let's say first-rounders back then because there was myself, Dave Gagne, Terry Karkner. There was a whole like a slew of guys that were drafted in the first round, but New York wanted that they hadn't won in 40 years. They were trying to win a cup. So they were bringing in guys, you know, making big dollars that had had good careers somewhere else. And they were trying to plug them in to, to elevate themselves rather than, you know, possibly rebuild. Like you see some clubs rebuild nowadays where, you know, they're not going to be good for two, three years. Then all of a sudden, bang, they're, they're right up there in the playoffs fighting, trying to get to the cup. So it wasn't like that. So it was always, you know, get called up, get sent down. And it was always New Haven. That was the uh, uh, American League team. You get called up, you, you know, you 
you, you play a little bit and then you're not scoring enough, so you're back down in the minors. And it's, uh, psychologically and mentally it's tough, but when you're up and things are going well, it was like the creme, creme de la creme. It was a, a fantastic place to play in them, as I'm sure it still is now. Well, we want to thank you, Chris, so much for joining us today for an interview. We really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. I'll remind everybody, hit that subscribe button, whether it's YouTube, Amazon Music, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple, um, iHeartRadio. I'm forgetting a few, but just hit that subscribe button. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next time. Have a great night.